final week of a series we've been in for the last few weeks. And so I'm going to catch you up if you're new or if you forgot, because last week was a scattered Sunday and things tend to leak out of our minds every now and then. Uh, so we're in a four-part series looking at some very simple but central practices to who we are as a church. Uh, we believe that the church is not a building, it's not a time, it's not a location, but it's the people of God who who have been filled by the Spirit of God and sent on the mission of God together. Uh, those that believe the gospel are formed together as this community and have to figure out how in the world do we live together? How do we live as people who are pursuing the same things with such diverse backgrounds? What are the things we're going to gather around and practice together? And all those questions come in. And so as a church, we said, let's spend a few weeks looking at four very simple practices that we agree to do together. And if you're not from Missio, you can take the parts of this that are helpful for you. The gospel will be preached. But we're looking at just a practical way that we together follow Jesus. Uh, the first one Nick taught us uh, a few weeks ago was that we gather. And so that's what we're doing now. That's what we do in our Missio communities, that we gather together regularly to encounter God's presence, to encourage one another in the gospel, and to be equipped to faithfully take up our role in God's story. And then the next week, Mike taught us about how we give. Everything that we've been given has not been for us to spend and use on ourselves, but we're supposed to steward it for the good of our neighbor and the glory of God. And we ask, how do we do that with our time, our talents, and our treasures? And we together give because we believe that as we do that, others are able to experience the good news of the gospel as well as free us from our stranglehold grip that greed can also often have. And then last week, uh, last two weeks, we looked at the fact that we grow or that we participate with the Spirit in pushing towards and working with Him towards maturity as followers of Jesus. So we don't want to just see disciples made and, and baby Christians, but we want to see unapologetically people grow up in their experience of following Jesus together and mature uh, we said that Paul's goal was for the church to mature. Jesus wanted to see his disciples mature. The Old Testament, looking back at the people of God, they were called to grow up. And we want to do the same. And then this week, we're on the fourth week of that, and that is that we go. So we purposefully arrange our lives to follow the Spirit in making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus as we go. So this is something we collectively, as the people of God, want to be about. And whether your home is here, or it's in Europe, or Australia, or wherever it may be, uh, this is something that's true of the people of God. And so we have a lot of students here from Soma School. we got a lot of people who are part of Missio communities. We have some new friends. Uh, and you're welcome to lean into this conversation, too. I'm going to encourage you to turn to a few people around you, because you've thought through this, some of you. Uh, what passage would you teach for the practice of going or the fact that we go out? We don't just wait and huddle together, but we are actually sent and commissioned out to be a part of what God's doing in our various neighborhoods and networks. Where in your Bible would you go? If you're new to Missio or new to your Bible, that's completely okay. Just lock eyes with somebody else and they'll start talking, I promise you. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing saying you had to read your Bible before you got here. But if you have read it before and you have an idea about maybe uh, where you would go in your Bible, a story of Jesus, a story of someone else, uh, if you don't have any answer at all, you can say Matthew 28 and you'll be okay. 
The rest of you can be a little bit more creative. All right, so I'm going to give you like three, four minutes. Uh, turn towards one another. Uh, what passage would you go if you were about to teach, we go? Ready? Set. Go. All right, go ahead and finish up those answers. All right. I'm going to give... I'm going to give a few of you not just the power to talk about what you would do if you were to teach it, uh, but to give you a chance maybe to speak and say, this is the passage I would go to, and here's why. So I'll pass it around uh, in just a second. There'll be, we'll give a few people a chance, depending on how long uh, you talk for. Um, but I'll use this one because it's the only one that records, apparently. Genesis. He said Genesis, and we talked about how because God sent us to go out into the whole world in the very first act, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and that involves you going. We're moving out of the front couch. Um, <laughs> Specifically, Genesis um, 22, 18. And through your offspring... All nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Anybody else? What else do you have? We're going to go move back through the room. We're going to go back through the room. What else do you got? Acts chapter 2? Why? Yeah. Absolutely, that's beautiful. Acts chapter 2, the early church, what they did, we go and do likewise. Yeah. Anybody else? I told you, you were drawing football plays. Uh, I think another one that comes to mind is John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Kind of this idea of imaging Jesus in his ministry. So good. Who else? Yeah. Uh, hi, it's uh, Mark 1.17 where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So it's not just me going and asking Jesus to come with me, but he's going before me and asking me to follow and make fishers of men. It's good. So good. Yeah. I thought of Genesis as well, uh, the Tower of Babel. Uh, Adam was commanded and Noah commanded to take the image of God into all the earth, and the temptation was to stay together and build something great to ourselves. And so God caused different languages to break them up into nations so that they would be forced to go out into all the world. Yeah. Yeah, Zach. I'm actually going to highlight our two Taiwanese friends here um, who's, who actually said two similar things, John 14 and Matthew 8, um, that my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and then don't be anxious. Um, who of you can add a, an ounce of life to, from worrying? And it was cool that they both highlighted that, that non-anxiety that Jesus brings whenever we go out into the world. It's not me, it's them. Love it. Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Yeah. Yep, we got it. We covered all the spectrum. Thank you. 
I was just thinking about Revelation because the end of the story shows that every tribe, tongue, and nation are confessing that Jesus is Lord. So we know the end of the story, so therefore we know what happens in the middle. Thank you so much. Beautiful. Uh, just in case you're wondering or following along with the symbols, I'm going to keep going. Or the tattoo that you have on your arm, uh, we hit every act of the story. So except for the rebellion where they didn't go. But actually that was covered in the Tower of Babel, so we did actually hit all that. There you go. All the acts of the story were all hit. Well done. Um, but none of you took my story, so I'm good with it. Uh, today's story is not for the faint of heart. It involves uh, cannibalism, war, people being trampled to death. It's got desperate people. It's got danger. It's got deliverance. And it involves some very unlikely eyewitnesses. Uh, let me pray, and then I'll jump into the story. Jesus, we come together, and we're in awe. I, I just love what you're doing in this community. The way that our, our friends are able to remind us of the good news of who you are and how that changes us and sends us back out. God, thank you for the gift of your spirit bringing to mind passages uh, that equip us for leading us in, in prayer with one another, for causing us to sing and worship and shout for praise. God, for entering into the low spaces uh, with us, and your grace just seems to puddle there. And so for those of us who need grace, would we hear that today? Uh, for those of us that are searching, would you help us to find you? And God, would we all walk away a little bit more equipped for the role you have for us to play in your mission? I ask this in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. So the choice had become clear. Stay and die or stick with this foolish plan they had concocted just a few minutes ago. With each shuffling footsteps, their heart must have been pounding, testing their resolve. Were they walking to their death, or would they somehow be delivered? But they couldn't stay here. It was far too dangerous. It was too desperate of a situation. From their discarded place outside the gates, outside the community who had put them there because of their leprosy, they had observed both the cruelty of a community cut off from food and commerce and the way people were turning on each other. They had even heard tales of mothers trading off, eating their offspring because it was such a desperate situation. But to take steps towards the enemy's camp, surely that would mean death, wouldn't it? So as they shuffled towards camp, I wonder what they were thinking. Their hurting bodies would feel every step of the way. They expected to be met by shouts, maybe even spears, but at least then it would be over. But as they got closer and closer to the enemy's camp, the sound that scared them the most was the silence. No clanging of pots with food being made. No clatter of armor as soldiers rallied. No horses, no chariots, no weapons of war ready to end their lives. Instead, what did they find as they walked through the camp? Gold, silver, clothes, and no enemies. Far more than they could have ever asked or even imagined. And so these four men quickly grabbed what they could and started hoarding it. It says they even started hiding it. They hid some clothes, some gold, some silver. They ate, they drank, they celebrated their good fortune and being rescued and the fact that they had been given so much that they hadn't had to even fight for. Then it hit them. 
And I'm not sure if it was one by one or if the moment it dawned on them was different. But as they celebrated a victory that they had not won, reaped the rewards of abundance that they had been freely given, that there were others back in their city who had not yet heard good news of this victory, they were still a slave to fear. They were still starving and dying of thirst. They were still wondering when their deliverance would come. So what would these four guys do? If you've got a Bible, this is 2 Kings chapter 7. Uh, some of you might have to dust that off. It might be a little while since you were back in that part of the neck of the woods. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, the prophet Elisha has just been, had an assassin probably try to kill him. Uh, the king was mad at him because of this massive problem they faced, that the, the enemies were besieging their city, uh, cut off from food and drink. There is actually a story of a mom, two moms that got together and said, we need to survive, and so we'll eat your child today and we'll eat my child tomorrow. And they came to the king and they were so angry because the, after they did the one, the other mom backed out on the deal. And that this, the king just tore his clothes and he was beset. There's no hope. There's no liberation. My people are literally consuming themselves. They're slaves to fear. And it's the prophet's fault, which means that it's God's fault. And the prophet tells him, hey, tomorrow, bread's going to be dirt cheap. Tomorrow, gold will have no value. Tomorrow, money's going to be worthless. There will be so much of it. And the king gets so mad at him. And the story that comes next, we'll start in, chap in verse... Uh, We'll start in verse number three. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, why stay here and wait until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. That was all the other outcomes too. So we're in the same place. At dusk, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the ev of the camp, there was no one there. And this is why. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of the chariots and the horses and a great army. So they said to another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and the Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. God made them all hear as if an army was approaching that was not there, and they ran off at the shuffling feet of four leprous men. And when the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents, they ate and they drank. They took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some of the things from there and hid it as well. They couldn't believe their fortune. And then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. Go ahead and underline that one. Today is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report to the royal palace. In the next part of the story, they go and they tell the palace, they say, hey, uh, the enemies are gone, and all their stuff's still there. We can go eat. We can drink. We can have all their money. We can have their horses. We can have their donkeys. All their stuff, it's all ours. They're really gone. And the king thinks to himself, there's no way they're really gone. They're probably just laying a trap for us. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to send a few spies in to check and see if it's really out, you know, of pocket. Is this really what's going on, or is it a trap? And then at least those guys will die, and we'll all be cool. So they go, and they check it out, and they find out it's actually true. They've left. They have fled. God has won a victory for them, and they just stepped into a place of security and abundance where there used to be slavery and death. And the story ends with the one who had cursed Elisha, that had laughed at him, that tried to kill him because he had done this. Elijah said, hey, everything's going to be dirt cheap, but you're not going to get to celebrate it. Uh, you're going to die before it all comes to pass, which is a really rough statement. And so sure enough, that uh, sentry of the king is standing at the gate, and as the horses all rush out, they trample him. And that's where the story ends. Yep, and the story keeps going. But he's done. For real. That's what we read the Bible for. So we know we're not making it up. Pretty awesome. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I want us to see. Why in the world would we pick this story before we go? Uh, why as Missio Day communities wouldn't we just go to Genesis 1, Genesis 12, Genesis 22, uh, look at the sent people of God across Isaiah, or maybe just drop in on Jesus and how he called disciples to himself and sent them back out with him in his power, or how he commissioned them out to go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you to the end of the age. Or why wouldn't we go through Acts or any of the epistles and say, look, the call of God, the mission of God has always been to send people to be a blessing to others. And why would we not look at Revelation and say, look, and if someday that mission is accomplished, that everybody doesn't have to go anywhere, but they come together and God's there in their midst and we celebrate that. Why I go to Kings? I think there's something unique in here for us that maybe those other passages didn't have. I also just preached them in five minutes, and you preached them to each other before. Here's what I want us to see. God's miraculous rescue. This story, the hero of the story, is not the lepers, it's not the king. The one who gets the most play is not the enemy. As divisive and as devious as they may have been, as destructive as they were working out, people who were operating against each other aren't the hero of the story, but the God who made the enemies flee and triumphed is the one we worship. And the beautiful picture that he has rescued, he worked a deliverance that nobody had anything to do with that preserved a people. Think about this in terms even of yourself. God, who is rich in mercy, does something that is so entirely unexpected. And then he uses the most unlikely heralds of good news to tell the rest of the people, good news, the victory has been won. Does that sound like anything else we've ever heard? It's very, very similar. I think in many ways this story mirrors the stranglehold that sin had on creation and has on people. There's no way out. There's no hope. Uh, today in my neighborhood, I was like, do I still preach this? They were literally besieging a house across the neighborhood. This guy, if he came out the front door, there was nowhere for him to go. He was fully locked in. Uh, these Israelites had nowhere to go. 
They were fully locked in. No food, no water for time and time and time till it was all gone. There's no hope. There's no freedom. If we go over there, they kill us. If we stay here, they kill us. What do we do? No hope. But God, but God, but God does something amazing and miraculous. beautiful thing in that line that I told you to underline if you did that. It said, today is a day of good news. Uh, the word used, if this was written in the New Testament instead of the Old Testament, would have simply been gospel. Good news of events accomplished that change your present in light of what's going to happen in the future. Good news. The victory has been won. You have been set free. The enemy is no longer in power. And then it was up to the people to respond to that and say, do we believe it and want to enter into that victory or do we want to stay far off? So many parallels in this story to what Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection of setting free humanity, of setting free creation from the curse, of setting free people from shame and guilt and fear in his name, by what he accomplished for anybody willing to believe it and step into allegiance with him. God's miraculous rescue is real. And what does it prompt for them? Explosive joy. Uh, Leslie Newbegin says, mission begins with a kind of explosive joy. The news that the rescued... Rejected and crucified Jesus is alive is something that cannot possibly be suppressed. It must be told. Who could be silent about such a fact? The, the reality of rescue, when we look at that story and we say, these four lepers, they had been pushed to the margins. They had been outside the city. They weren't even allowed where the little bit of food was inside. They were outside by their own countrymen deemed, you're not even worthy of being inside. We don't want to be near you. And so they're outside suffering twice as much as even the people inside. And they hear this good news when they receive it in the city. And the immediate effect is this joy. They just start reveling in all of the gifts that are there. The gold, the silver, the drink, the food. Recognizing that there's more than enough. They do what sometimes we often do when we have more than enough. Or rather than the immediate thing being shouting back, Hey guys, there's food, there's drink, there's safety. The battle's been won. They indulge themselves for a little bit. Uh, they recognize that everything that, that God had given them, uh, they started using on themselves, and they weren't even going to go back and tell that good news because they just wanted it, right? And maybe got caught up in a moment. I'm not saying, like, I'm not judging them. I'm just saying this is what took place in the story. They started to indulge and spend it on themselves, but there was this explosive joy, but it made it turn in on themselves, and they kept that joy in that little community. And then I don't know when the conviction set in. I don't know when the realization that like, oh, our relatives and those people that even maybe they didn't like us, they pushed us outside. We've got something really good that we could bring to them that will forever change their lives and preserve life. And we didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We just walked across the street. There's a beauty when we recognize how much we've been given in Christ. Those events of the gospel, of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus are all real. And in that, there is an abundance of more than enough, a kingdom of plenty where we don't live in want, where we have a good king who reigns in justice and truth 
and beauty, a king who forgives and frees, a God of abundance, uh, so much so that his first miracle, right, is turning water into wine, uh, just to show this is what my kingdom's like. No more shame, so we'll lift the shame of not having enough wine and plenty of joy. Here's plenty to enjoy. The response to the gospel is meant to be a joyful one when we recognize all that God has done for us. Uh, think just simply to Christmas morning as a child. When you didn't earn your presence, um, at least we didn't. I mean, if your parents made you earn your presence, I don't, I'm sorry. Um, but <laughs> most households, the tradition is not that you earn your presence. But there is a joy that comes when you watch even other kids opening their presents in delight when the thing that they wanted was right there in front of them and it was just given to them. There's a purity in that that I think speaks to the same thing. But how much more so when it's our souls, when it's forgiveness that we need, when it's release from fear and shame and destructive patterns of our past and of our family's past. And Jesus steps in and says, I am a conquering king who defeated death. And I can give that victory to you and you can walk in newness of life. It's beautiful. But just as the four leopards couldn't go, lepers couldn't go and keep the good news about the abandoned camp to themselves and rush to share it with others, in the same way we see the same thing from the early church, don't we, when we look in Acts? They heard the good news of Jesus' death, his life, his resurrection, and they said, we can't keep this to ourselves. They're compelled out with joy to go to the furthest reaches of their neighborhoods and their networks of friends, people that persecuted them and were killing them. They were still saying, this is good news for you as long as you'll receive it. This is good news for you. Will you give your knee and bow and give your allegiance to King Jesus? Explosive joy will compel a gospel witness to go and speak good news to others. The things that really excite us we talk about. Is that true or not true? Right. So the thing that makes you most joyful. Like uh, the thing so you know which one of your friends do CrossFit. <laughs> Don't you? Tell me, tell me the truth. You know which one of your friends are trying a different diet if it's working. Like we kind of go low key at first, right? And then it's like, oh, look, 20 pounds are gone. I'm on this one. Uh, we know which one of our friends uh, love which TV shows because of the things that bring us delight and joy are the things we talk about. How much more so when we have experienced rescued from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he set us right and he's brought us hope and we recognize and realize Good news, that's for you. Good news, there's plenty and more than enough for others. But that other line sometimes sneaks in, and we're keeping it for ourselves. God's miraculous rescue prompts explosive joy that compels gospel witness as we go wherever we go. Do you ever wonder why the disciples were so compelled to witness? It's because they had experienced the gospel. They had been filled with the Spirit, and they had been sent by Jesus himself to go and announce that same good news to others. And I think the reason that, that this is the passage that I wanted to bring before us as Missio today is to say many of us know the gospel. Not all of us, but many of us believe this to be true. Many of us would say, this is the central story of my life. We would say that I believe that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. I'm still figuring out how to live that out, but I believe those events to be true, and I believe they changed everything in my life. They brought me to life. They released me from things. They healed things. It brought me into a new community. And we would actually want others to be a part of that. 
But the invitation for today is, but are we sharing that good news with others through our witness of our lives and the words of our lips? Uh, There's an invitation for us to experience afresh the good news of all that Christ has done and find our hearts melted, enjoy the product. Uh, Fear will only make you walk a little bit in this way. We we don't tend to tell good news because we're afraid. These guys did because they're afraid of punishment. Good news, you don't have to be afraid of punishment from Jesus. Uh, He's taken that on himself, so we don't live in that same fear. Uh, if, I try, if we guilt one another into that and say, hey, we really should tell people about this good news of the gospel, you should feel bad if you don't, uh, that will probably take you to lunch. And then you'll fill up on some tacos, and then you'll be good to go again. Uh, religion of you do that so that Jesus will love you is empty and bankrupt and doesn't make any sense because we know that doesn't quite feel right. But when we know these things to be true, that God has freed us, he has saved us, he has rescued us, all of that beyond what we could have ever done, There's a joy that wells up when we just sit in that reality, when we have it sung over us, when we read the scripture. And so the invitation is for us to consider from the story, as random as it may seem, the reality of the gospel and the practice of we want to be those who have received grace that know we don't receive it. We didn't deserve it, but we received it, and so we want to give it to others and make it available to them as well. That's why we go, a joy of what we've experienced and wanting others to experience that same joy for themselves. Some simple, simple responses. Maybe the Spirit sparked a different one for you. I would encourage you just to think through, is the gospel prompting joy in your life? I've been following Jesus for a few decades now, and so not every day is one I'd mark as like, today's a joyful day. And so I'm not talking about little dips. I'm talking about when you sit and you think and you contemplate the God of the gospel and the good news of all that he's accomplished, do you find your heart welling up with joy at all? Or are we not even pausing long enough to think about it? Or is there another story that's captured our imagination and our hearts more? Is there another God that we're following that's demanding more and not releasing us the way that Jesus does? Is the gospel prompting joy? Just see that as a check engine light. If the answer is no, I never feel joy, but I just keep going out of obligation. That's not the life, a full and robust and flourishing life that Jesus has for you. It doesn't have to be that way. Two, this one might hit some of us differently. Are you still praying for miracles? This was a miraculous rescue. And I don't think the first day people prayed was the day they got released. Let's go ahead and be honest, right? This was a siege. Uh, I'm guessing that there were people calling out to God and calling out for a change long before that. I 100% and I'm sure Elisha was saying, God, can you release us from this? Uh, God, have enough people died? God, has hunger taken enough lives? God, has violence done enough? God, how much longer? Will you please do something? And we don't know when the prayers get answered, but as the people of God, we're called to cry out for the miraculous to still happen. And maybe that's a spouse's heart being changed. Maybe it's your addiction being broken. Maybe it's a network of relationships that seems so fractured. Maybe it's a pocket of the city that seems too dark. Maybe it's a country that seems too oppressed. Whatever that is that the Spirit prompts in your heart, are you still praying for that miraculous rescue? Or have you given up hope? If that's you, I see you, 
I'm there sometimes. But let stories like this remind us that God absolutely does the miraculous. Didn't just do it in Kings, right? Like, look at, again, the events of the gospel. The dead, crucified king rose again. And if that's true, nothing else is impossible. There might be a lot of confusion along the way. But if that's true, anchor your soul there. And lastly, and this one's super practical, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you take this step? Would you pray every day this week? That's seven of them for the non-math majors. Would you pray every day this week for opportunities to share good news? Would you pray every day, Jesus, is there someone, a believer who needs to hear the good news again and be reminded, or somebody that doesn't yet know Jesus that needs to hear the good news so they can believe it for the first time? Would you pray every day this week, Jesus, will you give me someone to share this good news with me? I don't want to sit and savor all that's good to myself. I want to spread that to others. Would you make that a prayer? And then when we gather next week, we are going to ask the question, how many of us prayed it? How many of us had opportunities? This is true. This is the true story of the world. The gospel is real events that took place that forever changed things. Let your heart respond to that. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus. Jesus.